Hello and welcome to the Urban Health Podcast, keeping busy city executives and entrepreneurs over 40 fit and healthy. I'm Stephanie Webster. I'm a nutritional therapist on Harley Street, London, specialising in gut health, hormone optimization therapy and fat loss for the over 40s. And I am so privileged to have Dan Roberts on the show today, who has been uh, a, a great influence on my own uh, health and wellness journey. And Dan is a strength and conditioning trainer with over 25 years experience working with elite and pro athletes, sports teams, models, celebrities, and even royalty all over the world. How I got in, I'm not entirely sure. But anyway, he has competed in Muay Thai, tennis, lacrosse, and ultramarathons, and his achievements include being a training champion for athletes around the globe, as well as authoring several national accredited fitness coaching qualifications. His business, the Dan Roberts Group, operates several companies offering personal training, online workouts, nutrition, branded fitness products, and fitness retreats with a passion to help every client live their best life. Dan, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. How are you doing? I'm okay. And I remember the time that I was training with you and how I had to look really inward and understand what I was doing with my body and, and just look at it differently. And you brought such a different perspective to my training. I was, I came to oh, you because I was deadlifting and squatting and doing really heavy weights and it just somehow didn't feel natural for my body. And you made it far more functional and made me move in ways that I hadn't moved before and made me think in ways I hadn't thought before by bringing new principles into my life. So um, I'm very grateful. But, oh, um, thank you. So nice to hear. But you work with so many wonderful people. So t tell us about the different clients that you've helped over the years and why do you think they keep coming back for more damn? <laughs> well, I guess I'm lucky. Um, I've been doing this for a very long time. I started back in the early 90s when I was like a little baby when I was 16. That's when I started coaching. And I think, um, just like anything in life, as you go, if you stick with it, you get more competent uh, and you get more skilled and also kind of my passion for it has sort of grown. So I think when you're, when you have some sort of skill and talent and you love it, then people kind of um, warm to that, I guess. Mm -hmm. And also, you really used to make the workouts fun. I remember the capoeira uh, training and also punching and and uh, different kickboxing. And you don't see it as exercise. If, if someone's sitting at home thinking, oh, I have to go to the gym, it can be dreary, but you don't see it as exercise if it's play, and that's how you see. That's how you see. It. I often say dancing. When you're dancing, you're not thinking how many calories am I burning. Exactly. You're just enjoying the dance. So tell us a bit, a little bit about your philosophy around play. Well, I think yeah, it's a good question. I think I mean all coaches have their sort of philosophy, and I think we're. Um, I think all of this it, it comes from our background, our experiences, not just in what we've read. So uh, my background was training athletes and also playing sports. So I'm very much biased towards the idea of competition and games. Um, I'm not a bodybuilder. I didn't come from that background. So my training is kind of biased more towards movement and sort of competition and fun because that's how I grew up with, with movement as opposed to seeing it as a way to build bigger quads or toned biceps. Um, that's all fine, but that's not... When I think of exercise, I don't automatically think of that. So I think the industry is quite a little bit biased towards training just for looks. I think it's changing. But I think that's why maybe I sort of stand out a little bit because I've got a huge bias towards movement and mixing different styles from yoga, Pilates, Thai boxing, 
kung fu, dance, I try and mix it all together because it's it's more fun that way. And actually, my experience, I found it is more effective to get not just the body you want, but have the relationship, a better relationship with your body, doing it that way. I couldn't agree more. And it is not about looks alone. It is about functioning. I remember thinking, wow, I can deadlift 100 kilos, which is a lot, but I can't do a pull-up. <laughs> How can I not do a pull-up? And I, I remember being frustrated with you. Not, by the way, I can do pull-ups now. Not many, but I can. So that's, you know... Uh... I mean, pull-ups are incredibly hard. Particularly for... I mean, naturally, men find them easier because men have a bit more muscle. Uh, and the, the muscle we have tends to be on our upper body. So just being, not, just being female makes it genetically harder to do a pull-up. Um, it's, it's a hard move. That's all I can say. So the fact you can do any, I think, is pretty impressive. Yeah, well, it's taken a long time. I mean, I remember having one <laughs> lat fiber, so it's taken a, a huge <laughs> amount of, of time to get there. But it's it's not about about the relationship that you have with your body. I mean, yeah. that is so important. How many clients come to you because they hate their bodies, and you taught me to love my body and improve upon it rather than to hate it and therefore, you know, change it. I mean, I think it's worth sort of a coach's responsibility because I don't think people. Um, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, so people don't usually come to me wanting a better relationship with their body. They come wanting certain results, but then usually, usually more um, aesthetic results. But normally, within like a few conversations, it's quite clear that I could, you know, we could get them to a certain size or get a certain muscularity that still wouldn't like themselves. So then I have a responsibility to um, to really work on the relationship, which means having a good relationship with exercise, a good relationship with nutrition and also a good relationship with yourself. And I think exercise and training is like a, the ideal, ideal vehicle to actually achieve all of that if it's done in the right way, in a playful way, in a way where you, like, like you're talking about doing deadlifts. If your legs can do 100 kilo deadlifts, when you look in the mirror, you don't just think, oh, they're too muscular, they're too skinny. You think, I've got these legs can make me lift all that weight. They can make me run marathons. So you automatically see your body in a different way. And that's the trick to, I think, loving your body more. Yeah, absolutely. So what I like is having multiple markers. Instead of just looking at the scale, is it going up or down? You go a little bit deeper. Is my fat going up or down? Is my muscle going up or down? And I know that you like doing the bod pod. Um, yeah. So, many things, I think the many things you have as markers to improve. That's why, you know, often in my clients we have, you know, initially maybe like four or five, eventually maybe like 30 or 40 different things where, we're gauging their progress. Maybe how good their left jab is, how good they are jumping, how good their handstands are. You know, it's like it's, there's lots of ways of judging your sort of progress. And uh, just looking at like weight or just how, how you look, I think is an aspect, but should only be one aspect. And I think that's what the problem is. I couldn't I agree more. Put it too, you know, they put too much importance on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, and that's what I absolutely loved about your approach. There was a sophistication and multifactorial component to your approach, which resonated with me entirely. And I think we're coming into a world where we're thinking of sustainability for the planet. Okay, we're taking actions, but at what cost to the planet? We're not just thinking of outcomes only. We're thinking of the principle from which our actions come yeah. from. So if I'm doing something and it's building my strength at the cost of my flexibility, or if I'm taking a supplement that is costing my sleep quality, you know, and what I liked about you, it was a real time to review and reflect, how is my sleep? How are my bowel movements? How, how is my blood test? How, 
What is my absorption like? Do I feel less or more stressed right now? How, what's my recovery yeah. like? And and my skin and my hair and just how I feel. And that was well, really important. well-being is, isn't it? I mean, wellness is all these things. It's not just the way you look. It's not just the way you perform. It's how you feel about yourself. So, And I think any kind of change always starts with you know, building an awareness of what the hell's going on right now. So it's, it's good to take that time, be it, be it from... Um, triggered by a coach talking to you or be it by listening to a podcast or reading a book or just thinking to have that kind of stimulus to to really take stock like hey what's going on in all these areas and how can I I think you can't really go wrong with that approach yeah and not only is there a risk that if you've only got one thing to focus on like your weight going up or down you might become obsessive but also if you plateau, it can almost be like it's the end of the world. Whereas if you've got other things going on, yeah, but hey, my sleep's Very improved, true. or yeah. my strength has gone up, or um, I've, you know, I prefer my definition. Or actually, you know what? I've actually sustained my my um, eating plan, uh, which is nice. You know, I've, I've kept off the alcohol, or I've, I've quit smoking. You know, you've got other things to be proud of. So you've got constant upward mobility, constant motivation. Yeah, I mean, it's just a more sensible approach. It's like running a business. You'd be foolish just to think only of profit margin as the only gauge of how your business is doing. It's just one of many KPIs, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Yeah, at what cost? So, and you've got an amazing way of combining the mind and the body, and you've got a spiritual component to your philosophy. So tell me a little bit about the mind, because it's so useful now for managing stress. I mean, the stress levels in London, because we're not really designed to live this life, really, are we? So, but no, we are. no so, we're not. So, so what, um, what can we do to manage our stress better? It's terribly stressful. Yeah, um, yeah so what's your, uh, you want my views on, like, the relationship between mind and body, or? So I guess we, we have a relationship, firstly, between mind and body, yeah. and how do we manage stress better with this hectic lifestyle? Well, I think I think the first stage is actually, as always, to all these things in life, is, is thinking. <laughs> um, I mean, I've got quite a, like a distinct kind of philosophy, I guess, on sort of like how the mind body work because I've studied a lot in psychology and philosophy and you know studying, and I, I've got quite uh, in my own. I'm not saying I'm right, but in my own head, I've got an understanding of uh, the relationship. And I think because I have that understanding, it's very easy for me on a personal level to have a very good relationship with exercise and food. And I think the more we sort of spend time thinking about, you know, what, what is my mind? What is my body? Is, it, is my body just a piece of me? Is it a, a way to express myself in the world? Is it, is it just a vehicle for my brain? It's all about my brain. These are kind of sort of more philosophical questions. But the more we have an idea, like have an understanding of what that relationship is, then it's easier to then sort of build from that. So I think always it makes sense to take a step back and actually have a think about that. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, I think that's what I did to myself. That's why, you know, I've got like a, uh, a slightly more kind of a holistic philosophy, I guess, than most strength and conditioning coaches. But that was informed by, you know, doing a master's degree in philosophy. I couldn't help being informed by that. Also being a professional fighter. I, I learned things, studied sort of samurai culture and various different things. And all these things affected my, my views on, you know, what, what the mind and body are. And I, I personally believe the mind and body are, are linked, are one. And that's, the more I study like neuroscience and understand like gut health and stuff, I realize that the body, the brain can't really function without the body. They're, they're codependent. They, they work completely together. Um, and that's, 
that's affected my my views on myself and also the way I coach others. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, the gut brain axis was something that I came across during my time with you, and mm -hmm. it is so interlinked. Having yeah. ulcerative colitis myself, and having your naturally your gut is not going to be uh, in an optimal situation. It takes a bit more effort to be um, in tip top shape gut wise. And then when you're yeah. low carbing, you have low serotonin levels anyway, and you need carbohydrates mm -hmm. to cross the blood brain barrier. So you start to feel low, and then you wonder why you have these massive cravings. It's just it's just nice to put some science behind it, so you don't feel like you're. Yeah completely flawed as a person with no self-control not that I have any but no. uh, it's, and um in fact you were the one who, who said you're a bit hedonistic and that really helped me you know because then I thought great if I am hedonistic in my throat no because it's true because some people are pain seeking some people are pleasure seeking some people get yeah. pleasure from pain it's not that thing it's just knowing yourself isn't it yeah so then I thought how can I make this pleasurable so that it fits in line with my with my um uh, makeup anyway and then I just decided to yeah. do exercise that I enjoyed and that makes sense it's like when people are it's like some people are more introverts and more extroverts if you're an introvert it doesn't make sense telling everybody in the world what, what your goal is because all it takes is then is one person to kind of crush it and you'll feel like oh I can't do it but if you're an extrovert it makes sense to tell everybody what your goals are so the, the more you understand yourself be it hedonistic or you know uh, whatever the easier it is to make choices make decisions which sort of serve you are going to have a more likelihood to succeed and you know there is that phrase no pain no gain but really if you want to stick at something long term at some point you need to enjoy what you're doing so there is that aspect also yeah yeah good point and the martial arts i think really fuse the mm. mind and body body quite beautifully do you remember you were teaching me is it called wing chun the, the and wing chun yeah wing chun is a style of kung fu it's what bruce lee originally learned um, what was the yes, one that you said was specifically done from women? You said there was one specifically for women to use. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. It was, well, it's not specifically for women. It was actually the only, it's the only martial art I've heard of out of the, I don't know, 300 or so martial arts out there, which was actually created by a woman. Her name was Yim Wing Chun. Um, and she was um, basically trying to find a way to develop a system where she could defend herself, where it wasn't about speed, it wasn't about power and strength, sorry. It was about technique. And Wing Chun is all about technique. So you can kind of win a fight with someone much bigger than you um, using superior kind of speed and, and uh, technical abilities. So it's very interesting. Compared to like boxing or kickboxing or jiu-jitsu, where a lot of it is about weight and power, it's quite an interesting one to learn. So yeah. I think we did a little bit of that, if I remember. Yeah, we did. And, it, and it's yeah. about using the opponent's body against themselves. Yeah, it's about chi energy. Like you learn how to cultivate energy. I mean, it, because it's um, Chinese, um, Chinese medicine kind of links into it. So the more you understand about chi uh, and energy and meridians, the more you get out of it too. So it's a very, particularly because I'm not Chinese, I'm sort of from England, it's quite interesting to learn um, different kind of ideas and different concepts, which are at first seem a bit foreign to you. And then you can embrace them all and you have a better uh, overall kind of understanding how things work. It had a lot of elbows. It's very nasty. <laughs> well, that, we also did a bit of Muay Thai oh, and a bit okay. of Krav Maga. They use elbows too. Good. So, um, yeah, I mean, the thing with martial arts, I mean, I love people doing martial arts because it teaches you, on, on the basic superficial level, you, you learn basic self-defense, which is always good for building confidence. But then you go deeper and you learn 
when you sort of try to master techniques, you can't help but become more humble because you realize how little you know. You can't help but sort of develop patience. And it's, uh, it's like a self-development tool, really. Mm-hmm. Also, I played tennis recently and I found myself staring at the stitching of the ball to make sure it doesn't hit me in the face again this time. Because you taught me not to look at the ball in general, but to look at the stitching on the ball, so that you're really focusing on the on the ball itself, and that that way you've got a better handle of where it is in relation to your face. <laughs> yeah, that was, you know what? That comes from a, a book. One of the first books I read on coaching was a guy called Tim Galway, and he, he wrote a series called the Inner Game series. His most famous book is Inner Game of Golf, but he also wrote Inner Game of Music, Inner Game of Tennis. And I was a tennis coach back in the day. That's how I started. I remember reading this book, and it was all about how you shouldn't force things to happen. You should basically teach your clients to let things happen. And it's all about how to get in the zone and focus. And that was one of the things he said, like, don't look at the ball. Look at the intense, like, the details of it. Look at the stitching of it. Because then there's no, when you're so focused, or trying to be so focused, look at the stitching, there's no way other thoughts, like, oh, my God, I better not miss this shot, better not trip over, all those negative kind of self-talk, which happens when we compete, goes away. So it was, it was like a way of just being super focused to help to help uh, performance. Yeah. But that, but that kind of uh, that book actually was it's interesting because that, that definitely affected. I read it when I was sixteen. It affected the way I've coached ever since. Probably the most sort of fundamental book I've read because it was just the philosophy of just like letting things happen. So when I train people now, as so I'm trying to help them lose weight or get fit or do something, I think how can I let their body get the great results? And then I sort of my job is to take away the barriers rather than to like full speed them skills does that make sense i kind of reverse engineer it a little bit not only does it make sense it leads me beautifully onto the next insight so when i was training before i met you i was using grips to lift the weights and then you you said to me if you use grips it means that you're not using this part which is the front the top part of your arm um and you want everything to grow in relation you want you don't want oh yeah like hand wrap things yeah so explain a little bit about the body mechanics of that. So if you're using wraps, it means that you're not... Anyway, I'll let you explain. Well, yeah, it's, it's the same as like using a weight belt. It's like whenever you get assistance to lift something, um, it means that you're doing some part of your body to service. So if you're trying to do a deadlift and you're using hand wraps, you will be able to lift probably about 10% more because normally the wrist is the weakest part of the body when you're doing deadlifts, particularly for beginners and intermediates. Problem is, we then become reliant on those on those um, hand wrists, uh, those hand wraps, and the, the muscles around the wrist don't get conditioned. They actually get weaker. So then, I mean, I'm saying, do you want to be strong? I don't. Want, I don't want my clients being strong only if they have the right equipment. I want to be strong in all conditions and all angles. So, uh, it's a, yeah, it's the same as when you're wearing like a weight belt, which was very popular in the sort of 60s and 70s and 80s these sort of big belts people put around them, mm-hmm. um, it makes your core really strong. But the problem is, it's only temporary, because if the core is artificially strong, it means when you're doing the lifts, your core actually switches off completely. So then if you try and lift the weight, like do a bench press something without it, then you actually there's more chance of injury. So I really it's, built it's, a different yeah, relationship with my body. Shortcuts, I guess. Uh, sorry? I missed that. Sorry, say that again. I think, I think if people... It's a mentality of sometimes trying to find shortcuts or trying yeah. to, you know, like, like sort of hacking results is very popular recently. You know, it's like trying to get the maximum out of things. So 
sometimes when you have to shortcut, it does you a disservice and you have to do it like the proper way. But your phrase is live the athletic life. So it's about a commitment. Uh, yeah, that's a tagline to my company, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it is about committing to that and, you know, committing to being an athletic version of you every day for the rest of your life in whichever capacity that is. That's how I, that's how I saw it. I'm not sure the intention with which it was written, but I saw it as this is a commitment for life. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, like I said, we use that as like a, a tagline, so I ended up saying to a lot of people, and I was like, oh, let's use it as a tagline, so that's under our kind of logo, because I think, uh, in my view, living athletically is being connected to that innate athletic nature of us. I think we're designed to, to run, to jump, to climb, to surf, to box, to, to climb trees, to, to lift weights. I think we're designed for that, and I think if you study biomechanics uh, and you study how the way the body works, we are actually amazingly designed to do all these things. Um, we're not very well designed to sit in front of an office or play on a phone all day. Mm. Um, we're not designed to do that at all. So I think it's more about like reconnecting of our natural athletic spirit, I suppose. And um, also that being... Sounds, that sounds a bit pretentious, so I, I just said a bit different. <laughs> no, it's, it's not pretentious, because we are all athletes. We all have an athlete within us. It's just not obvious. Yes. Yeah, we just have to remind ourselves, and I see very much my job, um, be it through, you know, coaching people directly and also the programs we have and, you know, the talks I do. It's just to help people, sort of remind people to reconnect what they already have within them. Like I said earlier, it's like sort of taking away the barriers rather than me giving things. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it anyway. Now, um, I have a lot of clients who come and see me because they have a requirement for testosterone optimization therapy, which has been dampened by stress and they are finding that they have low testosterone as a result. But I know that you have been famous for training Victoria's Secret Angels, which has resulted in a lot of ladies flocking to you for a little bit of that. And tell us about that and Methodology X. Uh, okay, so... Um, my- as a strength and coach for athletes, so I spent many years training... Uh, mental footballers, uh, NBA players, I was in America, just that side of things. Then randomly, uh, 10 years ago now, uh, I was living in Rio de Janeiro and I ended up training some models. Um, they were quite well known and I ended up sort of being an in-house trainer for the main model agency in Rio de Janeiro. And that's when I started training uh, for a lot, of Victoria's Secret, a lot of Victoria's Secret girls off in Brazil and I ended up sort of building a reputation in, um, in Rio for training all these girls. And that's, that's how it all started that that side of my career I mean I've done quite a few things over the years but that aspect started there so then when I got back to London I was uh, the recommended trainer for other model agencies in London and they one agency asked me to create a guide for their models so I created like a little 20 page handout which I printed out quite a basic little guide and within six months um, I found out that people in different agencies were showing it, like all these girls were using it as like their kind of like mini fitness Bible. So after that, I was like, wow, I better make it better. <laughs> I, did, I did it quite quick. So I designed like an ebook, and um, that went quite well. It was like, you know, like a 60 page ebook. And then that went better than I expected, but kind of by accident. I didn't think people would love it that much. Then I recreated it, and it was like a 200 page ebook. And um, I called it Methodology X. And now, it's, it's gone really well. It's, it's now a membership site. We've had um, thousands of members in 50 different countries. It's wow. also become a, a workout class. 
Um, we've got teachers in six countries now teaching it, wow. six different countries, like as a class. It's it's really grown, and I I, I think it's. I mean, I've been I've been lucky because I didn't really um, I didn't really plan to like build this kind of like brand or workout. It just kind of happened, and I think I because I because I think there's a bit of a gap in terms of like training women to kind of um, get strong and fit, but without being bulked up. There's not there's not many programs for that. And because I like educating, there's a lot of information about how to connect your body, how to feel good about your body. There's lots of that body image in there. So it's quite comprehensive. And um, just because I like doing things properly, um, it's just gone really, it's kind of grown from there. So yeah, Metrojet has now become a separate company, sort of sitting under like a brand under Dan Roberts Group. And uh, yeah, that's, that's how it all started. So accidentally sort of you know, became successful, I guess, <laughs> just for being popular. And the workouts in the membership portal are very easy to do at home. You can do them any time of day. Yeah. They're well-designed, well-shot, well, just very easy to follow. And you've done a really good job of that. And I'm so glad to hear of your oh, success. Thank you. There. Thank you. It's very, it's very kind of you. It's like, but uh, yeah, like I said, I'd love to say I planned it all out, but I just, I created it and then it became popular. And when things become really popular, you have like a, a moral obligation to kind of keep on improving, so... I kept on improving things over the years, and yeah, suddenly we had a class, and um, yeah, we're actually going to be building an app next year for it, and so there's a lot, there's a lot happening with that. So much so now it's like a separate company. Um, it's gone, it's gone really well. So it's, uh, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> it's gone nicely. Yeah, it's really good, and because the, the thing is, not everyone can get in touch with you d depending on your location and, and your availability so at least this is a way to stay in contact with you when you're not uh not around so that's really cool yeah I mean, that, that was the idea originally originally it was for i mean i originally it was just for kind of like um models or agencies who were who, who were traveling and then then it's become a thing where um like i said people it's the same price as one one session with me so it's uh, it works out to be good value to sort of have this whole sort of set of resources like lifetime access to all these exercises and advice, um, it means I can have more impacts outside of just being in London. Yes, amazing. And let's talk about the very serious, serious issue of social media. And earlier you talked about body image was included in the Methodology X manual, uh, the 200 pages there. And often... Uh, People might think that, oh, well, models must love how they look. Well, actually, when you're under such scrutiny, we all get a little bit uh, nervous, particularly if you're in your underwear and, you know, every interview is under investigation from thousands of people over the world on television. It, it, you know, yeah. we I are mean, all human beings. they're objectified for a living. It's just, you know, it's, they're literally objectified. That's part of their job is to be judged completely on yeah. how they look. So their typical models, body image, as actresses, typical body image, um, for most of them, isn't very good, but it's not for most people. For stock, I think it's a, it goes beyond kind of fashion and entertainment. I think all of us now are subjected to uh, unrealistic images and sort of like ideals everywhere. So I think um, body body happiness, body neutrality, body positivity—these are things which we all have to think about nowadays. Um, uh, so. I'll, I'll go on to social media, but just as a quick aside. Yeah. So I started at 88 kilos, right? And then I got to 78. This was before I even met you. And yeah. at 78, I thought I was, at, for, from where I'd come from, I was looking pretty, pretty decent. Of course, I had yeah. lots of work yet to do. But um, my trainer, to motivate me, said, when, when you look in the mirror, 
you know, I want you to hate what you see. And uh, are you happy with that? And I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm pretty chuffed, actually. I've lost oh 10 kilos. I'm, so I couldn't really relate to his, to his body hating. But maybe I, I shouldn't have been so confident. I'm not sure. But I, I sort of, um, for me, confidence well, is, is, is not about a body yeah. fat percentage. It's about a state of mind. And I have been uh, confident at any, any size, at any time in my life. So um, I, 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 I can find myself feeling not confident even at my hottest rippest most ripped or whatever so it, it just depends on the day really it's a really interesting point i mean to, to be really uh, to really love your body you have to transcend like you have to transcend like uh, how, how it's judged uh, aesthetically um and again it goes down to what i was talking earlier about about the relationship you want like i i love my body right now i, I love it and it's got nothing to do with how it looks because like you have people who pretend who say they're confident, but then put them next to someone um, with got like a, a better body, as it were, they'll feel worse about themselves. Like a lot of bodybuilders and physique models and models will, will say they're feel confident, but then that's only in comparison to people who don't look like them, and that's ridiculous. So the only way to be truly body confident is to kind of not care and not judge, and that takes a bit of practice. It's very easy to say, "Oh, I don't care what other people think of me," but I think. The more you see your body as a tool of expression, as an instrument, as a way of like, you know, part of who you are as a person, then it's it's nonsensical to compare it because it's so integrated to who you are as a person. So I find that the more integrated you have like a mind-body approach, the more um, the more impervious you are to comparisons or feeling jealous, and uh, which a lot, unfortunately, like that trainer who said that to you. Um, Probably that's the way he goes about things. I don't reckon that's got. A, that's not. He's not going to love his body that much. Bless him. You well, know, he had. You know that, what? You know, so. He had. He had a lot of good going for him. I think that was. Uh, that was. You know, we all, we're all on our journey, and I still rated yeah. a lot of his his stuff. But I'm, it was just funny to see that if that's happening across. And thankfully, you know, I really believe in in self esteem comes from the self and not from external validation yeah. from other people. And the more we just do not care what other people think, either way, I, the compliments as well as the negatives, don't care because you've got really? bigger fish yeah. to fry, you know, really. And, um, you know, they say that looks fade with age. I, I haven't seen that. I think, I think people get even more um, beautiful with age because they accept who they are. But anyway, that's just another ethos. No, I, I'm with you completely. It leads into exactly talking about social media. Yeah. Um, I was talking about this the other day. And I, I like, it's so easy to get trapped, particularly on things like Instagram, it's probably the worst of it. Um, it's so easy to get trapped to, to start comparing yourself to others. And I think the trick is like to, to really take ownership. You have to kind of go, you know what, I'm not going to post my best picture. I'm just going to post, you know, post if I'm going to use it sometimes. Use it. Um, but you don't want to sort of fall into that trap of oh. like comparing yourself. And I think the only way is by taking real action. And like, I don't, I mean, I look after like our company social media accounts. And on purpose, uh, which annoys PR people, I don't put all our best things on there because I know my <laughs> it's, it's putting the wrong message out there. So I know I could be doing it better, but it doesn't sit well to me just to show off constantly because then you're on this treadmill of having to outbetter yourself. Yeah, um, but also, I mean, you've got to I, make it work for yourself. What's yeah. going on with society? I mean, why does everything have to be manicured in order to be beautiful? I find beauty in, in a dustbin. You know, why can't you just find beauty? in whatever roughness? Why does everything have to be polished and preserved for you to find it palatable? I don't know, but that's just my 
it's just so single skewed. You know, people say, I think you're beautiful because of this. There's many reasons. There's so many facets to a human being, what makes a person beautiful, not just aesthetics alone. It's just so single skewed. Don't get me ranting. Don't get me ranting. I just no, think- but this is a good point. <laughs> this is, no, I like you ranting. This is a really good point because often the people who've got like, uh, who've thought about this and have, like you, I have like passionate ideas. Then when they see social media, they're going, oh, sorry, I can't be bothered. It's not me. But I think because it's kind of here to stay, I've, I've come around to the fact that I think People like with your views should be hardcore on social media showing how it should be done in a way. Because otherwise it's just left to like narcissistic 19-year-olds who haven't thought about it. Yeah, but what about people who've had kids or who've had yeah. surgery or who've got well, scars it's or who've got... Towards, it's, it's, skewed to, it's skewed towards youth and um, vanity, you know, narcissism. It's, it's definitely skewed towards that. Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, I think you have to make there's no point being angry about it. It just has to kind of make it make it work for you. Like if you have a company, for example, and you're like like I, I have social media because I am the MD of a company and it'd be it'd kinda of be silly not to because we are expanding and we're doing all you know, sales all over the world. So I do need some kind of presence. But I'm hyper aware that I don't want to be a cliche. But also I'm quite a private person. I don't want to sort of post pictures of my private life on there, which is quite trendy nowadays. So you have to make it work for you what sits well with you. And everyone's different. And um, if that means you have less followers, so be it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you only want the followers that you want, you know, that resonate with exactly. your message. Exactly. You want to appeal to people who are kind of, who get you. Otherwise, there's no point. Otherwise, you're, you're being just as bad. You're being slaves to the system, as it were. So. Um, well, otherwise, you're left with yeah. them. And you never like them anyway. Uh, so hmm. you, don't, you don't want to be sat on social media next to the person in the place that you, you know, in real life, if we're not going to get on in real life, I, I don't know if I, anyway, never mind. Online, online should reflect. Um, so do you, do, you have, do you have social media for your business? Yeah, but I was really phobic, you know. I was so anti. I remember you used to tell me about um, Tanya Burr and how many followers and how, it, and I was not on social media at all at the time. And I have only discovered it, but I use it as I want to use it. I don't, yeah, I don't even look at others, I, I just, I dish out, I don't even edit, because if I have to watch back what I've recorded, then, you know, I'll get all nervous. But I must introduce you to this personal trainer who was a fitness model, who has a, has Crohn's disease and had a colostomy bag, um, uh-huh. and how he integrated all of that into modeling. I just think it's an extraordinary human being. Anyway, more of that later. Now, tell yeah. us more about who inspires you, because... What I've found, and this doesn't apply to you really, but I have found that a lot of PTs and healthcare professionals in general up and down Harley Street don't look after themselves, don't take their own advice, um, or no. <laughs> they find that inspiration elsewhere. Yeah. So any confessions perhaps, Dan, or any, anyone who inspires you to be the best version of you when you're looking after others? Who looks after you, Dan? Um, that's a good question. Um, nowadays, who, who inspires me? I'm very lucky. I've got a very interesting... Uh, uh, interesting and inspiring set of people around me uh, in terms of my clients and also the people who help me run my company. So um, more on a sort of local scale, I do find myself getting inspired and educated and uh, motivated from from the needy people around me as opposed to um, mentors, which I've never actually had, or um, famous people I guess to look up to. So it's more the people around me I find very, very positive. I'm quite 
careful and only having very positive people around me in terms of my clients and in terms of like people who work, work with my company. So I, I would say they, they inspire me the most um, because you need to be motivated because it's quite hard. I mean, I, I own a few businesses now. Um, things have gone a bit bigger since I first met you. And, um, it's, it's very hard to get the balance right. And I don't think I do. I think I work too many hours. I start at six in the morning. I finish at midnight. I sleep two hours a night. That's not good. But I want to build like a massive brand. So I don't know if I can do that in seven hours a day. I need, I need 16 hours to do it. So uh, maybe I'm just not good enough. So either way, I know I'm making some sacrifices. Mm-hmm. But, but to suddenly go, oh, just because I'm a well-being professional, I should sleep nine hours a night. I should do this perfectly. Well, that's not realistic because when you're ambitious, sometimes you have to sort of, some things have to kind of, uh, that's be some sort of sacrifice. And I think it all comes down to knowing yourself. Like, I know what my body can handle in terms of lack of sleep. I know I, my body's pretty resilient. So I'm not always perfectly healthy all the time, but I'm, I'm aware where my limits are. And I'm willing, to, I'm willing to pay the price sometimes. Like I am at the moment, because I'm working really hard. I, I'm sacrificing a little bit of sleep. I'm sacrificing a little bit of social life. I don't mind that. Oh, wait, so you know what? what do you think about that? When, well, I'll tell you what. So when it's your vocation... And when it's your calling, because although we both get paid, we don't do it for the money. We do it because we actually genuinely love what we do. Then it's really hard to clock off at five. It's in fact impossible because you're so emotionally, you don't, you don't want to, but you're also emotionally and intellectually invested in the human beings that you're changing. And I, you know, this summer, I have never put my body through, through this, uh, but I actually slept four nights per week for three months. And I haven't actually said this to anyone, but you were so bold, I thought I'd match you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, And I, I've never done that. But honestly, Dan, if I did that 10 years ago, my body would have broken into bits. The fact that I survived in any way, shape or form, sans a little bit of collagen, uh, I've noticed, um, that... It's not good, and it's not a protocol I, re- I recommend. Of course, it's not healthy. It's not best practice. But I don't know any investment banker who hasn't done an all-nighter now and again. I don't know any entrepreneur yeah. who hasn't had to work through the night to get a deadline, for a printing deadline or something for the morning. I don't know anyone who hasn't done it at some point. Should you do it ongoing? Does it justify? Of course not. But well, if- it, it comes down to what, what you want to do in your life. Like I, I personally, like I love coaching. I, I love being of service. Um, but my own personal well-being isn't actually my number one priority. That's, you know, as long as it's good enough for me, it's like, as long as it's sort of like 80%, I'm happy with that. As long as I don't get unwell and I feel full of energy, to me, that's enough. But for me to kind of give up my career so I could be 100% well would, would kind of be weird because um, wellness is, is also about your goals and your ambitions. It's not just about your physical well-being. So, I, you yeah. know, I, I wouldn't want to just, just, you know, work eight hours a day and then go home and meditate and do whatever wellness people do, that doesn't excite me. So part of me would be stressed out by that. You have to know yourself. And I know what I'm like. I'm quite an all or nothing person, so I'm working within my personality. Which is why, yeah, which is why you can connect with your clients because they're a bit like that too. Dan, I think we should set up a little, uh, just a mini two-day situation just for practitioners and healthcare professionals who need a reset. (laughs) Um, (laughs) that probably is a good idea it's quite niche Um, are you feeling like a fraud because you're giving advice you don't take yourself come to these two days (laughs) anyway (laughs) no but I I have to say 
when when I am on track and I'm hydrated and I eat well and I sleep well, I do function better. I have to say, and we um, all do. at we some all point do. it does catch up with you. And um, I, I I have found that my body is re- is more resilient than it's ever have been before, and that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But it's not as bulletproof as as some others. Unfortunately, I I still have ulcerative colitis, and occasionally it does show the signs. As soon as I see the beginnings, I just cancel my next three days appointments, sit at home, drink bone broth, relax and switch the phone off. And I, I, to me, that's really smart. That's because you know your body, you know? Yeah. That, that's, that's a smart approach. Uh, you know, rather than it's like all or nothing, you sort of make decisions based on the available data and you know yourself. That's as good as we can do, really. That's what we all should strive towards, I think. Yeah, in 2020, though, Dan, I am going to plan some more rest days in. I don't, I don't rest enough, so I'm going to actually plan them in. Wow, good luck. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, honestly. Okay. Okay. Now, let's talk about uh, what you want to achieve in 2020 and your, your, um, what you'd like to do with Urban Health clients, um, not Urban Health, your, your own clients and how you want that to, um, to um, grow and expand. Your plans. My plans. Um, I have a few things going on. We have, we have an app we're building at the moment um, for Method it's quite complex. It's using uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. That's going to take about another year to finish. It's a big, big job. And that's taking up a lot of my time. So I'm very sort of excited by that. So that's going to take a big chunk of my time. Um, in, in terms of clients, we've, we've got a lot of partnerships with hotels at the moment. We've just signed a contract for four seasons. Oh, wow. You were talking about yeah. that when I met you. And it finally happened. Fantastic. Yeah, finally. <laughs> but we have quite a few... Um, sort of luxury hotels we work with now and we're um, expanding that and working more internationally. Um, wanna, I, the main thing is I, I want to have more, I want to make more of a difference, as cheesy as that sounds. And yeah. uh, I can't do that one-on-one. That's why I have a team. Um, there's a limit to how many sort of people I can see um, on, on a daily basis. And I, I love coaching. I'll never give it up. But I, I can't really see more than six or seven people a day. So yeah. to make more of a difference, I, I have to, you know, have vehicles to do that and um, I find sort of working with other companies and doing things online and having apps and books and videos and all that kind of stuff helps so I'm just going to carry on doing my thing and you know try to try to help people as much as I can try and be of use try and be a service and uh, I find that when you do that things kind of you know you tend to get lucky and nice things happen when you just work hard and you're honest about it. Dan, you have been wonderful to speak to today. DanRobertsGroup.com. <laughs> Wait a I'm not going away yet. Well, how about you can't ask me and not ask that yourself. How about you? Uh, What's what? your plans for next year? My plans for next year? Um, well, yeah. I have four people who want to become apprentices for uh, nutrition consultations. And um, nice. I want to pair people up with, if I have, so I have ulcerative colitis, so that gives a different focus to my nutrition than say yes. somewhat because nutrition is is so key to any body composition oh, goals. Yeah. Um, it's vital yes but i can really understand those who have crohn's and ulcerative colitis or or just funny tummies in general but if i have different yeah. practitioners who have their own journey maybe they've overcome addiction maybe they've overcome smoking i want to pair people up with those who have been down that path themselves so that there's re- that real human connection hmm so that's, that's my plan for 2020, as well as having a digital component to what I do, again, to scale easier. Yeah. 
So, so yeah. So thank you so much, Dan. You've been amazing. <laughs> Not sure about that, but thank you so much for asking me to, uh, to be on, on your podcast. It's a, it's a real honor. Thank you. Okay, so danrobertsgroup.com. That's D-A-N Roberts with an S group.com. Check the website out and sign up to Methodology X and you'll have excellent training uh, there. <laughs> So um, you've always been an inspiration to me. And uh, thank you all for listening to the Urban Health Podcast, Keeping Busy People Healthy.